At a young age, racing just became a passion for me. In grade 11, I actually took two weeks off of school, made a presentation, and got dropped off downtown where I was living at the time and walked from store to store. And in two weeks, I was able to raise enough money to buy my first stock car and fund my whole first season. And I really, from a young age, wanted to be a professional race car driver. Determination. Working intently to accomplish goals, regardless of opposition. My name's Josh Rayom. I'm 25 years old, and I race professionally in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Racing is, is, is a sport that's about equipment, and if you're not on the same playing field, it's difficult. One of the challenges with motorsports is it's an expensive sport, and you need a team, and you need hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment, and it's not as simple as me just going outside and getting to beat around a ball or something like that. It costs a lot of money to hone what skill and what talent you have. My love and my passion for motorsports is what I feel like gives me that drive and gives me that relentlessness to just continue to press forward and you know get up at four o'clock in the morning or you know stay late at the shop to work on the car um, you know I got a mechanical engineering degree because I wanted to better my race cars I wanted to create more opportunities for myself and I think that's that's key is if you think that you might fail you've already failed so to be determined to me has a lot to do with passion You know, knowing that in a lot of times I'm the underdog, it, it, it drives that passion to want to succeed. You know, every racetrack, especially when I was a rookie, it was really important for me to kind of suck up my pride and, and go to other drivers and say, hey man, how are you getting around the racetrack? Going and spending time on a simulator, watching hours and hours and hours of, of past races and taking notes, watching the lines, watching, you know, when a race starts in the day and ends at night, watching, you know, where the cars move to, how the handling in the cars change, and trying to kind of build a database in your brain so that when you get to the racetrack, you don't feel as new to it. You feel like you have some experience under you. With determination, you just, you gotta just have that tenacious attitude and just never give up and just continue to just press forward. When you're really determined, what you'll find is that you just have this crazy focus. It's just incredible. And you'll see it on the racetrack when you're behind somebody and you're getting to the end of a race and you're coming up on that finish line. And, and you have to think it through. You have to be smart and you have to be meticulous and you have to you know, pre-calculate what you're gonna do. But you find a way to get past the guy and you just, man, I'm, I'm determined. I'm gonna hold the gas all the way to here. I'm gonna get through the corner. And it's crazy. Everything goes away. The noise goes away and you just, it's like life slows down. And I want to stay on track, I want to be determined, and I want to, I want to end strong and, and finish the race well. I really love motorsports, and I really want to be successful as a driver. And in order to do that, you have to go above and beyond and have that drive to burn the midnight oil. Determination. What's driving you? Scripture says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a wonderful statement. That helps me with my determination. The other thing that helped me a lot with the determination was my dad. Uh, my dad would not let me give up. Kate never did do anything. You get out there and try, you do it. Set your goal and stick to it. You know, your past does not determine who you are. All of us have a past. There have been defeats, frustrations in all of our lives. That's just a fact. Your past prepares you for who you are to become. That's a part of this whole Lodestar program, my friend. Helping you to become the leader that God wants you to be. And a part of that is determination. 
you've got to determine in your heart of hearts that this is where I'm going, this is who I want to be, this is what I want to accomplish. Working intently to accomplish goals regardless of opposition. Everybody may not be singing the doxology when you walk in the room, but you are determined to get there. Because if you will do that, it's going to create productivity, you're going to grow, you're going to achieve it. You can get there. If you don't, you're going to live in defeat and you don't want to live there. I want you to take this scripture verse to heart and look in the mirror and say to yourself and say to the Lord, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, in order for that to be a reality in your life, you got to know him. You got to come to the place where you recognize that there's a need in your life and you say, I need you to help me here. I don't want to live in defeat. I don't want to live in frustration. I want you on the throne of my life. I am determined to be the person you want me to be. Will you help me? And he will. All you got to do is ask, be honest with him, tell him you need him, and he will help you in this area. That's a promise. You can take it to the bank, my friend. Young man. <clears throat> hey, thank you. Josh Ryan uh, was raised on the mission field. His mom and dad, he's not your typical NASCAR driver. His mom and dad were missionaries, are missionaries in Nigeria. And they came home on furlough one year when he was about six years of age. And he started running go-karts and fell on, found that he had a real talent for it. And here he is now uh, in the Xfinity Series. He's a neat young man. I'll be with him tomorrow night uh, at an event we're doing in Harrisonburg. And uh, so you pray for Josh. Um, a couple of things I want to say about the books out there. If you'll sign up to be a part of our prayer team, our uh, email prayer, prayer list, you'll get a schedule where we are. Uh, I found I had a few of these left. Uh, this is a book by Daryl Waltrip, one-on-one. Daryl is a Hall of Fame race car driver, and uh, it, this is his testimony, basically. Uh, so if you'd like to have that, we'll give you a copy of that. Uh, a couple of people asked about several other books. The other night I spoke on The Blessing, and I meant to give credit for this, and I did not. If, I, if you're looking for a book to read, I count this as one of the top 10 books in my life. Uh, it's not my book. I wish it were. It's called The Blessing. It's probably 25 years of age. Uh, Larry Trent and Gary Smalley wrote it. And so those four points, uh, meaningful touch, spoken words, uh, seeing not just who a person is, but who they can be, and then actively committed to them, they came out of that book. So uh, if you want to get that and read it and go a little bit deeper. The other book that I would recommend, I got out there on the table, one of my mentors, uh, in fact, I chose where to go to seminary based on this person. Uh, he is still one of my best friends, and uh, I talk to him frequently, Dr. Robert Coleman. And he's the author of The Master Plan of Evangelism. If I only had two books, the Bible and this, you can build a church on this book. It's a powerful, powerful book. The, Master's Plan, the Master Plan of Evangelism by Dr. Robert Coleman. That's out there. And then several people ask about this, uh, the friendship book. I wrote this after my mom's funeral. Uh, several weeks before my mom died, my oldest brother and I were visiting with her and, and we said, who do you want to do your funeral? And she said, well, I got five boys that are preachers. If one of y'all can't do it, we're in trouble. And so uh, <laughs> anyway, my oldest brother and I spoke at my mom's funeral. And uh, after th that experience, uh, Buddy and I were talking today, our moms, his mom's still living, uh, were a lot alike. Um, my mom had the gift of hospitality, and I wish I'd kept count of the people at the memorial service that said they had the privilege of sitting at her table and putting their feet under 
our table. If you came to our house, you could not leave without eating something. Uh, but the three most important things in life uh, is why I wrote this book. Your faith, when you die, you want that intact. You don't want any question about your faith. Secondly, your family. I thank God for my family, and I want my family intact. I was talking with somebody earlier tonight. Um, my mom and dad were married for 67 years before mom died, before my dad died. And Barb's mom and dad have now been married for over 67 years. Uh, I spoke at her grandparents' 65th wedding anniversary, and the entire bridal party stood up and had the picture taken. Now, I don't know if that's a record, but that's pretty good. And uh, Barb and I have been married for 42 years. And I know you can't unscramble eggs, and some of you have maybe been through divorce, whatever. But I want you to cherish your family. And so this book is uh, about faith, family, and friends. Um, one of my goals in life, and I got this from Dr. Jay Kessler, it's not mine, uh, who was president of Campus Crusade for Christ and then president of Taylor University. At my memorial service, I want at least, at least 12 friends who will sit through my memorial service and not look at their watch. And um, so in order, in order to be a friend, you have a friend, you got to be a friend. And friendship is sort of like compounded interest. You put it in the bank, and it's going to grow exponentially. One of the things about our present generation is we're not cherishing our friends as much as I think we should. And by the way, this has one of the most powerful providential stories in it that I've ever experienced. Uh, it's a golf story, and uh, that's in the last chapter. Um, your preacher today insulted me. Uh, we were playing golf, and he said, I'm thankful you can preach better than you can play golf. <laughs> Which is true, I hope. <laughs> but I got him back. You'll have to ask what I did, okay? Uh, so, hope you'll stop by and take advantage of that. Don't forget to download our app. Uh, we'll send you a scripture verse every day. I get mine at 8 in the morning, 8 at night, and it's all free of charge. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. That's in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 37. And before we uh, read, though, I want us to pray that little prayer. Lord, speak to me. It's been such a joy to be here. Several of you said, I wish we could continue. I wish we could, too. I really do. I've just had a great time being with you this week, and I thank God for Salem Fields Church, and I believe God's got great things in store for you as you follow hard after Him. I changed my message tonight because I really felt this is what the Lord was telling me I should do. And so uh, that's why we're in Ezekiel chapter 37. But let's pray those four words, Lord, speak to me. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, speak to me. Lord God, I thank you for all that you have done, are doing, and will do as we continue to follow hard after you. I commit tonight to you. I pray, God, that once again you'd put a hedge of protection around this building, and I plead the blood of Christ over tonight, and I ask that you would bind the enemy and cast him out of our presence and allow your Holy Spirit total freedom to do his work here tonight. And I pray that each of us will be obedient to the sweet voice of your Spirit. And again, I pray, God, that all of us will do what we will be glad we did when one day we stand before you. And if there's anyone here tonight that does not have the assurance that if they would die tonight, they'd go to heaven, I pray that before they leave this building, they will have made the most important decision that any of us can make, and that is to know you. So we give you this evening. Speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 37. Now, I know that this is a prophetic message regarding the restoration of the nation of Israel. I know that. 
But there are some principles found in Ezekiel 37 that I think are very applicable to us today. And it's in that light that I want us to look at this text. Ezekiel 37, beginning verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy out of these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life and I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now, there are three things I want us to see tonight. I want us to catch a vision of the valley. Secondly, I want us to see what it means to be God's man or God's woman of the moment. And then I want us to see the action of the Almighty. First of all, the vision of the valley. He is very, very descriptive. Now, I have to admit, every time I read this text, I'm reminded of a Tarzan movie that I saw when I was a kid. And the strategy was these people from England were going to come over and wound this jungle as he went off to this secret elephant burial ground. It only occurred to me recently that it would be hard for an elephant to sneak off anywhere, but that was the plot. And I've never forgot is that wounded elephant staggered through this narrow ravine about ready to die. It opened up into this enormous valley and was filled with nothing but elephant bones. Just bones everywhere. Dry, disjointed dead bones. That's what I see when I read this. He's very descriptive. He says, it's full of bones. Then he says, there are a great many bones on the floor of the valley, and it was very dry. I would suggest that we don't have to use our imagination very much to parallel Ezekiel's vision of that boneyard with the world in which we live. The difficulty for us is we try to hide the bones. How are you doing? Fine. Fantastic. Fabulous. Couldn't be any better. We have these nice houses. We have nice clothes. And we are sucked into thinking everybody's okay. But I got news for you, they're not. Because without Jesus Christ, they're nothing but a bunch of dead man's bones. Here's how we describe these people. They're good neighbors. Yes, but without Jesus, they're lost. He's a good boy. Yes, but without Jesus, he's lost. She's a nice girl. Yes, but without Jesus, she's lost. And so I would like for you to take an honest look at your boneyard. And as lovingly as I know how to say it, my friend, one day all of us are going to stand before the living God and give an account of what we've done to reach our boneyard. 
the vision of the valley. I'd like you to close your eyes just for a moment and see some people that you personally know. It may be a mom, it may be a dad, maybe a brother or a sister, it may be a neighbor, maybe a work associate, maybe somebody you go to school with. But in your heart of hearts, you know that if they die tonight, they'd go to hell. That's your boneyard. Do you see them? They're very many. They're very dead without Christ. See, the Bible is pretty clear about this, very clear about it. We are, not something future, we are present tense dead in trespasses and sin without Jesus Christ. Spiritually dead without Christ. They may be nice, they may look nice, they may smell nice, they may look successful on the outside, but without Christ, my friend, they're dead. You can try to dress it up all you want to, but they're dead. They need Jesus. And one day, I believe I'm going to give an account for my boneyard. You know, I've had the privilege, I was talking to some people over at dinner tonight, of traveling many places and preaching the gospel. But you know what? I don't believe God's going to be very impressed with anything that I've done if I haven't done everything I could to reach my neighbors. Those people that know me best, the people that I'm nearest to, I want to represent Christ to them even more so than I do somewhere else. I cannot imagine someone looking at me that I've known for many years and they die, and I don't know what it's going to be like. I can't imagine, but in, in Rich Man and Ra- Lazarus, there was this great chasm that separated them, but they were able to look at each other. I can't imagine that. Because the Bible says there's not going to be any tears in heaven. I believe God just pulled that curtain back as an urgent example to us. Come and dip your finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in these flames. My friend, we have people that are dead and they need to be rescued. So that's the vision. Then he says, he didn't say, but I, I, I want us to look at what it means to be God's man or God's woman of the moment. I, I love to read scripture with imagination. I don't know if you do or not. I, I just do. I like to get in the text. I want you to use your imagination with me a minute. Let's say you come to visit up in the Shenandoah Valley where I live. And we decide to go up on the Skyline Drive for a hike. And we're out on this beautiful day, fall of the year maybe, and leaves are turning. And we're hiking along the trail, and all of a sudden we look over into this valley, and it's filled with nothing but dead bones. Dry, disjointed. I mean, not a very pretty picture. And you're standing there looking at that. I don't know if there's any stench involved, but I mean, it's death has visited this place. And as you're standing there looking at it, all of a sudden, out of your peripheral vision, you see this hand coming out of the sky. And all of a sudden, this hand comes and rests on you. Now, I I meet a lot of people that want to be a part of God's Bless Me Club. (laughs) I I want all the benefits of going to heaven. I want to benefit from being a part of the family of God. Just don't ask me to do anything. You you remember, some of you will remember this. How many of you remember Brill Cream? You know the theme of Brill Cream? 
A little dab will do you. That's a lot of people want to deal with Jesus like that. Just give me a little dab. I mean, I want some fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But, I, you know, I, I'm going to do what I want to on the journey. But I want you to notice something about the hand of God. The hand was on him, and he picked him up. Whoa. That implies to me he was under the control of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he carried me around. Why did he carry him around? I believe he carried him around so he could see everything going on in that valley. And where did he place him? He placed him right in the middle of it. Can I be real flat out honest with you? That's not where I'd like to be. I, I don't mind being, being out on the periphery <laughs> and every now and then doing a kamikaze raid in on Thursday, whatever night it might be. But he put him right in the middle. Right in the middle of a bunch of stinking, dead, dry bones. Hand of God was on him, put him in the middle of these dead bones. And I think he's sitting there looking around saying, whoa, I'd rather be home in my recliner. <laughs> it's not where I want to be. And then God says to him, hand of God was on him. Spirit of God was in him. See, we can't do this in our own strength. You just can't do it. Now, what I want to do not what I'm empowered to do. I, I got to depend totally, completely on him. Hand of God was on him. Spirit of God was in him. See, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He's going to equip you and strengthen your inner being. He'll give you the courage and the strength and the boldness to do it. And then he says to him, in the, if that's not enough, Ezekiel, preach to the bones. I mean, what do you do to a bunch of dead bones? Glad you're here. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to them? You can't say, let's stand up and sing a few praise courses. What, what do you say to a bunch of dead bones? They're dead. Ezekiel preached to them. Uh, Lord, what do I say to a bunch of dead bones? Ezekiel preached to them. Uh Lord, could I call Pastor Buddy? <laughs> Ezekiel preached to the bones. And all of a sudden, I think Ezekiel got the message that God wanted to use him. And I think, with a whole lot of timidity, I think his palms were sweating. I think his stomach was churning. And I think he mustered up all the strength and the courage that he knew how to do. And I think it went sort of like this. <laughs> Looked around to make sure nobody was looking. Um, bones. <laughs> um, I, I, I really don't know what to say. Um, but you know, it wasn't long ago that I was like you. I, I was dead. And somebody told me about Jesus. And they said if I would turn my life over to him, he'd give me life. And Bones, if you'll just turn to Jesus, he can bring life where there's death. And all of a sudden, the Bible says there was a rattling noise. And the bones came together. 
and tendons grew on them, flesh covered them, and they stood on their feet, but there was no breath in them. And Ezekiel said, preach to the wind. I don't believe he had to ask him a second time. I believe he, said, he saw this. He said, yes, come and breathe on these slain that they might live. And the Bible says they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. That, my friend, is what I believe God wants to do through every one of us. Maybe not as dramatically as we see here in Ezekiel 37. But God wants to use each of us for his honor and his glory. And I haven't shared my testimony with my church in a long time. But I briefly said the other night, I'm, I'm the youngest of seven kids. My dad was a godly Methodist preacher, holiness preacher, preached the word. I grew up with that. There's 10 years difference between me and my next brother. And by the time I came along, all my brothers were away at school, either already in ministry or preparing for ministry. And I went through this period of rebellion. Never as bad as I could have been. The Lord had a holy governor on me, thankfully. But I was running from God. I, 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 and in 1970, my life changed. And how you sort all of that out theologically, I don't know, because I'd prayed as a kid, I'd prayed as a young teen, I'd, I responded to an invitation my senior year in high school at a Ford Philpot crusade in Danville, Virginia. But in 1970, my life radically changed. I still didn't want to go into the ministry. I just did not want to do it. And I was struggling over all of that. And it was later that September that I, I surrendered to ministry. Uh, but that night, even that night, when I, I felt God was calling me to ministry, I, I made this deal with God. I said, it was a Wednesday night. I said, uh, I'm not telling anybody. If you really want me to do this, you're going to have to open the door. Well, my dad's church was having revival. And so I went to his church on Friday night, and the person that was to preach uh, that was a death or something. He had to leave after Friday night. And the board had seen such a change in my life. They went to my dad and said, why don't we get Steve to preach Saturday and Sunday night? He said, we'll go talk to him. And I'm standing out in the front yard before service starts. And they said, we think you ought to preach tomorrow night and Sunday night. And I already told God on Wednesday night, I'll do this. So I said, okay, I'll do it. Man, I went home that night. I stayed up half a night trying to get a sermon. And I'm getting books off a dead shelf. and doing, I mean, I'm praying, Lord, I need something. So Saturday morning, I'm driving around praying, Lord, I got to have a message tonight. And I went over to Lynchburg and went to the Baptist bookstore in Pittman Plaza, which doesn't exist anymore. But anyway, I went there and I'm walking around. And I guess I thought something was going to jump off a shelf. And I saw an album by Billy Graham. I've told Dr. Graham this story. And you know what an album is. They're making them again now. <laughs> anyway, um, I bought it. He was preaching on Samson. And I went home and listened to that. I said, that's pretty good. I listened to it the second time, wrote down the outline. And that night I preached on Samson and had 27 first-time decisions in, in that church. <laughs> I mean, so, so Sunday I listened to side two. Um, and, <laughs> but th that's how I got started. And I was going back to school. And I went by, I had uh, one year of college at Eastern Mennonite behind me now. And I was looking to work, get a job. And I'd worked as a, I'd been a police officer. I, I mean, I, I was doing all kinds of stuff trying to straighten my life out. Then I became a paramedic, and uh, I did paramedic first, then became a police officer. And uh, 
So the ambulance service where I was working needed somebody to manage the place that summer so the owner could take off. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. I didn't want to go there because they knew me. They knew who I had been. And I didn't know if I was strong enough to go back in that environment. But that was my valley of bones. I mean, there was pornography all over the place. There was guys were running around on their wives. It was, it was a hellhole. And five of us would sleep in the place at night so we could answer calls, have a dispatcher, and then two units would run. And I just determined that I was going to, when I, I knelt down in my room at the Eastern Midnight, I said, Lord, if that's where you want me to be, I, I'm going to witness to every one of those guys. There were 17 people that were employed there, full of part-time. And by the end of June, I had shared Christ with every one of them, and nothing had happened. And one afternoon, we were making a convalescent call, and the most boisterous one of all, Don Paxton, gave me more difficulty than any of them. That day, he was just quiet. I said, what's going on, Paxton? Something's wrong. He said, no, nothing. I said, something's wrong. I looked, no tears running down his face. He said, Steve, my life's a wreck. I need God. I prayed with him. I, he didn't know you were supposed to just say, I prayed to receive Christ. We came back to the ambulance. Evidently, it was pretty evident because the secretary said, what happened to you? He said, I got saved. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, oh, you're just hanging around Wingfield too much. Well, anyway, I, I didn't know how to disciple anybody. I, I really didn't. I hadn't had a class in follow-up. I, I, I just hadn't. And so I told Don, I mean, I got I to get you grounded in the faith here, man. So I said, where would you like to start? He said, how about Revelation? I said, okay, we'll go there. And so we started the Bible study. That's not where you should start, but that's where we started. <laughs> well, two nights later, I'm, the, somebody shakes me. I'm asleep. And I thought the phone was wrong, and I, I hadn't heard it. And I, I jumped up, and Blaine Thomas said, he said, Steve, I need what you and Don got. I got out of bed, and I prayed with him. And next thing I knew, nothing on the other side of me, I prayed with him. That's all that happened, those three, those three guys. We studied the book of Revelation from July until they, I had to go back to school. Best I could. I mean, I didn't, I, we'd get to, whoa, whoa, what does that mean? I don't know, we better live for God, guys. Um, I, I mean, I, I was as dumb as they were, but I knew Jesus. One night I'm in the library, and the phone rings, and the lib uh, librarian says, you got a phone call. And I go, and it was Don. He said, Steve, pray. Revival's broken out of the ambulance service. I prayed with him. I came home for Thanksgiving. They had called me and said, we're going to have a banquet. We're going to feed all the fire and rescue and the police officers. We want you to speak. I came home for Thanksgiving, and 16 of the 17 had given their lives to Christ. That afternoon, we were setting up number 17 called. And Don and I went by and prayed with Duval and his wife that afternoon. All because one kid that didn't know a whole lot caught a vision of his valley. I say that to God be the glory, my friend. Tonight, five of the 17, I'm one of the five, are sharing, they're, they're serving Christ as ministers of the gospel. Why did I tell you that story? I want you to catch a vision of your valley. It's urgent. Hell is a reality. The future of Salem Fields Church is dependent on all of us catching a vision of our valley.
Vision of the valley, that's first. Determining to be God's man, God of, woman of the moment. Hand of God on you. Spirit of God in you. You may be sitting there quivering and say, there is no way I could. It's not you, it's him. Trusting him to do great things in you and through you. And then the word of God coming from just speak the word. There's power in the word of God. So that you might see the action of the almighty in the midst of your valley. Now the invitation tonight is going to be different. And please do not respond to this unless you're willing, because you, you're not making a commitment to me, you're not making a commitment to Pastor Buddy, Pastor Gay, or any other staff, or, or to Salem Fields Church. It's a commitment to God. And here's what I want you to do. Before you go to bed tonight, I want you to make a list. I hope you'll at least have three or four people on that list. And here's your commitment. I'll pray for them. I'm going to seek to represent Christ to them. And as God gives me the opportunity, I'm going to tell them my story and invite them to make the most important decision that anyone can make. That's to know Christ. Make a list. Start praying for them on a daily basis. My parents taught me this. And during my teen years, there was this guy that my parents prayed for every day. We, at our home, we had devotions around the breakfast table. And then at night, before we'd go to bed, we'd always kneel in the living room and, and pray. And then we'd conclude by praying the Lord's Prayer. And my mom and dad always prayed for this guy. And he was one of those guys that when you're in a room, if he walked in, the lights went out. As kind of guy, I didn't like being, I mean, I didn't want to be around him. He was, he was a jerk as far as I was concerned. But they prayed for him. They never quit. I was holding a revival in Lynchburg, Virginia a year after my dad went home to be with the Lord. And this man walked out and gave his life to Christ. You may not see all your prayers answered in your lifetime, but that doesn't mean we quit. That doesn't mean we get discouraged. Because Scripture says in Galatians, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a person soweth, that shall he also reap. But if you sow, you're going to reap. Don't be discouraged in well-doing, for in due season, you will reap a harvest if you faint not. In other words, it's possible to sow and sow and cultivate and water and give up and not reap the harvest. I'm asking you to commit. Pray for them. Don't give up. Keep praying for them. Don't quit praying for them. Befriend them. If it's a cup of cold water, if it's a meal or whatever it is, just keep loving them for Jesus' sake and share with them your story. Now, you can't share your story every time you get with them. I've got a friend who was a, my dentist for years. He and I would play racquetball every Wednesday at lunch. We'd give up lunch and just meet to play racquetball. I'd share the steps to peace with God with him. He knew I was praying for him. Yeah, but you can't, every time you get with him, get in his face about that. Usually I'd say, John, when are you going to come over on my team? He said, oh, I'll, I'll get there. We had moved, been gone from that city for 10 years, and the phone rang one night. And it was John. He said, Steve, 
you can take me off your list. I said, what do you mean, take you off my list? What, what list? He said, I gave my life to Christ this week. I said, praise God. Don't give up. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Make a list. Pray for them. Look for ways to befriend them. And as God gives you the opportunity, tell them your story. Would you stand with me? Now, before I go any further, let me say to anyone here, maybe you are a part of that valley. And you know and God knows that without him you're dead. You know it. Maybe you know the songs, you, you know when to stand, when to sit and all that, but you don't know for sure if you died, you go to heaven. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you simply say, Steve, I'm in that group and I don't want to be there. Would you pray for me? Just raise your hand and say, Steve, that's me. I don't want to be there. I want to know Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Right where you stand, Jesus said, if you will confess with your mouth, just right where you are, say, Lord, I confess that you are my Savior and Lord. I confess that you died for me and that you rose again. And because you live, I can live. He said, you will be saved. You can do that right where you are. It's a done deal because God can't lie to you. But I've spoken mainly to the church tonight. And if you're willing to make that commitment, I'll pray for them. I'll make me a list. I'll pray for them. I'll look for ways to befriend them. And as God gives me the opportunity, I'll tell them my story. We're going to play. We're not going to sing tonight. Just some background music. If you're willing to make that commitment, I want you to come and just stand here before the Lord. Right now. Just come right now. Lord, I'm in. I'm in. Now, don't come because somebody else is coming. Don't come because I'm asking you to come. This is serious stuff. Lord, I'll make me a list. I'll pray for them. I'm going to look for ways to befriend them. I want you to use me. So if, if you're willing to do that, just come step, stand in the aisles, wherever, whatever you want to do. I'm going to ask Pastor Buddy if he'll come, and I want him to pray. I'm going to pray, and then I want him to pray for his, the church here that is his responsibility. Thank God for Salem Fields Church. I thank God for your leadership. And I believe with all my heart, friend, that God's going to use this church in a way that maybe it hadn't ever been used to capture Fredericksburg for Christ. This is serious stuff. Rescue the perishing and care for the dying. That's what God's called us to do. Lord, I thank you for everybody here. There's enough power in this room tonight, Lord, to capture this whole area for Christ. And I pray that you will empower us. I pray that you will equip us. I pray that you will strengthen us. And I pray that we will be your representative. I pray for the names that are going to be put on these lists. Lord, you know them already. But God, you're going to use us to touch their lives. I pray that they will be receptive to how we choose to befriend them, be it having them in our home or playing golf with them or taking them fishing or just hanging out with them, going for a walk with them. Whatever we do, God, I pray that you'll use us to, to befriend them. And I pray, God, that you'd give us the courage to share our story.
And I pray that you'd prepare their hearts to be receptive to our story. You know, people can argue about all kinds of stuff, my friend, but they can't argue about your story. That's your story. It's real. Tell your story. And God, I pray that you'll give us a harvest and we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name. Pastor Buddy, you pray for your church. Well, it's a great sight for Gay and I to be here and see all of you standing here. And I just can't imagine, I can't imagine what our church and what our community would be like as we begin to pray and, and uh, write those names down and pray and share our story. So we're just going to, uh, right now, all of us together, commit those names, those faces, those people. They're more than names. They're people. People with souls and children and wives and husbands and grandkids. So, Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Lord, that you would just pour out your spirit upon this place. We pray, God, that you would just take every name and every person that's been uh, thought of tonight. I pray, God, that you would open their hearts to be receptive to the gospel, Lord. I know the Bible tells us, Lord, it's your will that all should be saved and none should perish. And so, God, we're believing right now by faith that every name that we have in our mind tonight, those that we'll write on our, uh, our papers later, Lord, that uh, as, we have, as we are given opportunity, we will share the gospel. And, Father, we just thank you and uh, praise you for the many souls that will be one for Jesus as we endeavor by faith to do what uh, we have committed to do today. Father, we just pray that you would uh, just continue to pour out your spirit upon Salem Fields during the days ahead, Lord. We pray that this revival will be more than five or six meetings, Lord, but it will be a life-changing experience for all of us. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our staff tonight. We pray that you would pour out your spirit of love on each one and, Lord, empower them, each of us, to do your will and do uh, Father, that what you've called us to do and to love one another and, and Lord, to um, just love you with all of our heart. I pray, God, for our, all of our volunteers tonight, those that serve weekly and all that they do to make Salem Fields the church that it is, Lord, those who stand in the parking lot at the doors, set up chairs, tear down chairs, work with children and students and disciple, whatever they may be involved in. We pray your blessings upon each volunteer tonight, Lord, that's in this place. I pray, Lord, for all of our families, all of our children. Lord, I pray for Gay and I as we endeavor to be the leaders of this church that you've called us to be, Lord, that we, you would empower us from on high to, to, Lord, to just follow you and to hear your voice and to be faithful to you, Lord, and be good leaders. Lord, to our staff, first of all, each other and our families and our staff in this church, Lord, we pray. So, God, we pray for good days ahead. We pray your blessings on Steve and Barb and the ministry, Lord, and all that you've called them to do. I pray that you would give them success and that many would come to know Christ in the days ahead through the ministry of Steve Wingfield Ministries, Lord. So, Father, we're grateful to be here tonight. We thank you again for this revival. We thank you for this time together, Lord. And we're believing for a harvest, Lord. You said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And Lord, tonight, there have been some that have stepped up and said, I'll be a worker in the harvest field. So God, we expect a harvest in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much.